Welcome, listeners, to the MK News podcast, recorded here in Seoul on Thursday, the 2nd of January 2020. Today, I'm joined in a special New Year roundtable by Professor Andre Lankov of Kungun University and two MK News reporters, Colin Zwerko and the newly joined Jongmin Kim. Welcome, all of you. Hello. Hi. Thank Happy you. Happy New Decade. Yes. Now, our MK Pro subscribers had the option to take part in a live conference call this morning with Career Risk Group CEO Chad Carroll and Rachel Minyoung Lee, as well as Professor Lankov, which would be even more fact-filled and timely and analytical than this rough-and-ready podcast, but we will still do what we can. All right, so at the end of 2019, there was a deadline imposed by Kim Jong-un for some kind of sanctions relief. Uh, what happened to that? Well, probably I will say... Well, it's not clear what happened, because everybody expected something to big happen. Uh, well, there were even hints about some bad Christmas presents, mm. hints made by the North Korean officials. So many people expected, or at least did not rule out, that, say, one day just before the New Year, or say on the 2nd of January, a new North Korean ICBM will fly towards California and splash the waters in the Californian Bay, or something like that. Uh, nothing like that happened. And uh, this statement, uh, which was delivered by this extended session of the, plan of the military commission, long, long, long uh, name, so I will just say this statement. The statement was a remarkably reserved document. After, say, 10 months of saying that something big and dangerous would definitely happen on the 1st of January, we saw, well, nothing special. Uh, basically, they promised to take a new line. It's pretty much the old line. They did not even declare that they are withdrawing from their uh, unilateral moratorium on nuclear tests and ICBM launches. They just said that the situation is changing, making them less and less meaningful for them to keep that promise. So it's a hint they are going towards withdrawal, but not a withdrawal yet. Uh, so there is a great deal of rhetoric, some of which are useful for basically analysts, but on balance it was a remarkably teaseless and I would say, moderate statement. And a vague one, right? Yes, imprecise, teaseless, moderate. Okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's, there's so much that they can do up, at, up to an ICBM launch or a nuclear test, right? So everyone talked about that's the possible next step. But I think this teases, uh, I mean, they're very straightforward about doing something soon with a new strategic weapon that they will show. Uh, but I think this can be, as some other analysts have said as well, uh, like deploying their ICBMs around the country on mobile launchers or things which uh, would be provocative to the U.S., but which uh, wouldn't probably alarm the U.N. Security Council, or mm -hmm. Russia and China. Um, you know, they say we're at the ready to deliver nukes at any moment across the country. That would be alarming. Although we've also seen uh, from President Donald Trump's reactions that... Uh, uh, actions intended to be provocative haven't actually been that provocative. Right? When the uh, projectiles were launched a number of times, Donald Trump says, well, you know, that wasn't really covered by the agreement, so it's not a big deal. Uh, yes, I think it's one of their dilemmas now. They have to, if they really want to do something to push Americans back to the negotiation table, they have to do something big, something which will have potential impact on the domestic 
approval rating of Donald Trump, something which might have impact on the coming US elections. And if uh, probably even the traditional ICBM launch will not make that much difference. Uh, so it has to be something kind of spectacular, like a nuclear test or missile going on the low trajectory to the south to say to the southern Pacific, something really big. But they also understand that if they do something big, they will first uh, risk provoking a response, a military violent, as they used to say, kinetic response mm. from the Americans. And they also will probably be punished by China, on whose support they are so much dependent nowadays. And China doesn't like what they're doing, especially nuclear tests. What form would that punishment take? I mean, obviously, China, I don't think, would ever punish North Korea militarily, would that be an economic form of punishment? Absolutely. Which form? You know, one day North Korean technicians will discover that there is nothing in the pipeline providing North Korea with liquid fuel from China. Mm -hmm. They will make a call to the Chinese side and Chinese technicians will tell them, unfortunately, we have technical difficulties. Right. Uh, something happened to our pump and we'll have to wait for spare for spare parts to be sent by a slow train, sorry, no other ways as possible, from, say, Central Africa. Mm -hmm. And God knows when they will arrive. But maybe if your politicians do something, they'll consider some other ways, ways or something like that. They have done it in the past. So just using some silly uh, excuses or no excuses at all, just to stop fuel supply, which is illegal, but they are doing it food supply, which is perfectly legal, and Chinese are also doing it, or sending tourists, mm -hmm. which is also perfectly legal, and they're doing it. Let's uh, just quickly review what were the uh, acts that some people call provocations that North Korea did in 2019. How many uh, missile tests and how many engine tests were there? According to our NK Pro missile tracker, there were 15 tests in total in 2019, but two of them were at the Sohe launching ground, which mm -hmm. means it was more likely an engine test rather than project. Right. And they, they, uh, I think, as, as Professor Lankov mentioned earlier, there are uh, some uh, low trajectory missiles which are intended to avoid radar detection uh, or, or anti-missile defenses. Is that right? It's not this low-flying uh, cruise missile. Ah. They did test. No, it was not really a cruise missile. It's a ballistic missile which yep. can change its attitude when going to the target. They did test it. October, September, I'm mm. not sure. Uh, but what I meant, it's a low trajectory. You are just launching it as if you are going to hit a target. Ah, yes. So okay. it's different because it's not really, it's not very highly visible for the radars because this low trajectory or high trajectory doesn't make any difference for the radars. The difference is that if you send it high and back, you don't test some of the functions, vital functions, like say targeting or rear entry vehicle fully. You test it, but not fully. Mm. Uh, but the advantage is that if you do it, first of all, no enemy intelligence will get the what is left of your device. And what is far more important, it doesn't fly over any enemy or not so enemy countries. And this year, if North Korea were to uh, uh, to take you know, do some more tests to try to get some attention or some sanctions relief, do you imagine that there would be uh, more likely missile tests or a nuclear test? Personally, I would uh, say the Chinese are going to be very unhappy about nuclear tests. And they did say privately to a number of people, Chinese officials, Chinese scholar officials, to a number of people, including myself, that they are not going to take nuclear tests lightly. Uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they will probably close eyes or just make a mild punishment for an ICBM test. Uh, but on the other hand, nuclear test will be a much more spectacular military demonstration, or if you like, provocation mm. for the North Koreans. So probably they will still risk progress with China uh, and sacrifice, you know, some farmers' lives uh, just to have necessary political impact. It's not clear. Okay, now let's uh, talk about some of the uh, interesting meetings that took place in the years before the uh, the end of the year. So first of all, uh, North Korea state media reported on December 22nd that Kim Jong-un guided the third expanded meeting of the 7th Workers' Party of Korea Central Military Commission, as you said, it is a long title, uh, which was held on an unknown date. Uh, and the Central Military Commission members, commanding officers of the Korean People's Army and Armed Forces and Workers' Party of Korea Central Committee Organization and Guidance Department, or the OGD, uh, vice directors attended that meeting. And it looked like from the... Uh, Uh, images sent out by uh, Korean Central Television, there were about 80 people sitting in that big book-lined room where Kim uh, Kim Jong-un sat last year to give his New Year's address, uh, flanked by giant portraits of his father and grandfather. And that meeting looks like it went on for about three hours. What came out of this meeting? Was there anything interesting? It wasn't a very detailed report, um, but they did talk about uh, the turbulence situation, uh, the that they find themselves in, that they are, it, it kind of set up uh, that the New Year's address, which didn't happen, but the plenum speech would focus on a new military path um, and this new strategic weapon, uh, which has still not been articulated beyond that. As far as we know, and as you said, the reporting wasn't very specific, but as far as we know, were uh, President Trump and or President Moon mentioned specifically? No. No. Okay, so it was uh, it was very brief, uh, sketchy reporting. Well, intentionally uh, keeping it vague. Yeah, they couldn't. They could go into detail if they wanted, but okay. And then after that occurred, we were looking forward to the uh, the plenary meeting, uh, which it was interesting that you know, the timing wasn't mentioned. Like we knew a plenary meeting was coming, but they never said before it happened that it was going. You know, when exactly it was going to happen? Did they? They said the last third of the month, basically. Right. And so there we have it, the full title being the fifth plenary meeting of the seventh Central Committee of the Workers' Party of Korea. Uh, and it was it's normally, or often it can be a two-day event, but this one was four days from Saturday to Tuesday. Uh, and unlike normal plenary meetings that were attended by only about 200 people, including members of the Politburo, uh, this one was, was much bigger. You had full members and candidate members of the party Central Committee uh, and also uh, chairs and of people chairs of people's committees from different provinces, cities, and counties, making up about 900 people attending this particular plenary meeting. And uh, what came out of that? Well, we expected perhaps a New Year's address, a New Year address on the 1st. Uh, but then as the plenum went on, uh, we knew that the the fourth day of coverage would, would fall on the morning of January 1st. So they kind of turned that into the New Year address. It was uh, broadcast on TV without Kim speaking. It was narrated over. He really only went into a few specific policy areas, uh, really focusing on the U.S., sanctions, the fact that we we don't expect to see any sanctions relief, so we need to uh, solve our economic problems on our own. That's the message. I recall on the, uh, I think it was the second day, there was some talk about uh, Kim Jong-un saying that we have to use positive and aggressive measures to ensure North Korea's national security. Um, Again, that sounds like a vague statement as uh, 
uh, as Andre mentioned earlier. Uh, do we have any idea what he meant by that? In the Central Committee, they basically, in the Central Committee decision, they basically say that they are working on new strategic weapons. They promise that in near future, the world will witness that we have succeeded in developing new strategic weapons, but it's very, very imprecise. Uh, now, right now, we have a lot of speculations. What do they mean by these mysterious new strategic weapons? Basically, opinions are divided. You have an SLBM party, that is, experts who believe that Kim and his people meant a new submarine-based, submarine-launch uh, missile, long-range missile, which is launched from submarines. And uh, others said that he was to just talking about solid fuel missile. Usually, submarine launched missiles are solid fuel. There are exceptions, but as a rule, they are solid fuel, uh, which will be launched from basically any point. Solid fuel is much more difficult to process, to develop, but it has a major advantage. It's it's can be kept ready to launch, mm-hmm. so it can be launched within virtually minutes since a political decision is made. And if you have liquid fuel, it has to be basically you have to put fuel first into the missile. So it's complicated. It takes hours, not minutes. Uh, But uh, it's still not going to be such a big change. And well, basically, it's either submarine-based missile, a new system, or maybe hard fuel. Since we're on the sorry, fuel sorry, topic. Sorry, solid fuel, sorry. English is not my native language, sometimes my mistake. Something I've always wondered about, uh, difference between solid fuel and, uh, and liquid fuel, is one of them more volatile, more sort of prone to accidental explosions than the other? Uh, yes, actually. So, uh, And in this regard, solid fuel is probably more safe, mm. uh, but it's much more difficult to develop, much more difficult to manufacture. And are both kinds of fuel made from a petroleum product? I'm not sure about mm. soil fuel. Soil fuel, my understanding is not. Uh-huh. How do you, uh, Jong-un, how do you interpret the, uh, the positive and aggressive measures that Kim Jong-un referred to? What I interpreted is that they are um, very aware that the United States is looking at their every single move and that until the year-end deadline, they were opening up a bit of a door for dialogue. Um, during the plenum meeting as well, they didn't entirely close the door either. But then through um, the measures that they were talking about, it, I felt like they were getting ready for the sanctions to come in 2020, whatever the reason that may be. Um, some of the experts were telling me that they were getting ready for um, additional weapons testing because until now there were, well, their weapons are technically against sanctions, but mm-hmm. then unless they develop something entirely new, there is not like not much pretext for them to slap on more sanctions. But how can we say that, that North Korea is, you know, keeping the door for dialogue open when, um, you know, uh, during Steve Began's visit to the Korean Peninsula just a couple of weeks ago, and he was, you know, it, it seemed to me the guy was basically desperate for a meeting saying, look, I'll, I'll you know, I'll go to Panmunjom, uh, let me know, you know, call me when you're free, I'll be there, uh, let's have a meeting. Uh, and, and North Korea you know, uh, clearly rebuffed him in that case. It seemed that they, it seemed that Pyongyang already made up their mind about what they were going to do in 2020 after the year-end deadline. Mm-hmm. It seemed like they already knew that the United States is not coming up with um, any new method of calculation. And it seemed that they knew that even uh, Stephen Began's visit won't really change anything. And that won't really be helpful for Pyongyang. As Dr. Lankov says, they're like hardcore realists. 
Um, so I think that's why Bigeum was met with silence when mm-hmm. he visited Seoul, even though he called out um, to Pyongyang in front of the podium directly, saying yeah. that I'm here to talk. The gist is that it seemed like Pyongyang knew. It seemed that they were already decided what they were going to do. Do you think it's fair to say that, that Pyongyang is only open to dialogue at the top level, leader to leader, and is not really interested in this sort of you know, working level uh, discussions? I think it's hard to say exactly that but what you have to pay attention to more is what they want to hear exactly what offer will bring them to the table whether it's working level or you know a a promised summit begin talked about recently uh it's not true that we don't have any new offers we have plenty of creative ideas uh, all sorts of of ways to start working at our differences i don't know if north korea would consider that a phased approach or not but right now north korea is setting the tone of the messaging pretty well. Uh, Pompeo and Trump are still getting the the details of the Singapore agreement wrong sometimes. North Korea is saying, we expect something big from you. And even if Began wants to talk, and even if he has some creative ideas of a phased approach, uh, it might not really meet their demands for uh, dropping the hostile policy, for example. Uh, even though they said in the plenum speech, even though Kim Jong-un said in the plenum speech yesterday that we have no expectation of, of sanctions being lifted and we we have to solve our economic problems on our own and mm. this and that. Uh, I think the message still between the lines is we are we very much want sanctions mm-hmm. relief. And they said it is true that we would like favorable economic conditions, uh, but we're not willing to sell our dignity for that. They want to hear sanctions relief. We just don't know exactly how much they're willing to take because the U.S. isn't going to give up all sanctions. Mm. Um, that's clear at the at the U.N. Security Council with this China and Russia. Right. That's something that also happened in the last few days of last year, wasn't it? That uh, China and Russia came forward with a uh, proposal at the U.N. Security Council uh, for... Now, th- th- that was limited sanctions relief, wasn't it? Or was it broad... It was a sweeping sanctions relief? No, it's, it's limited. It's uh, textiles, seafood... Uh, strangely, they've got the statues. Yes, the, uh, uh, the, the sanctions art or whatever yeah, that, the a, name of the company is. There's the a specific uh, paragraph that sanction that prohibits North Korea from exporting statues or or mm. laborers that are building statues, and uh, that was one of like the five articles. Yeah. yeah. If I was writing that proposal, it would be hard for me to find a way to link the export of, of statues and monoliths with. Um, uh, people's livelihood, which is something you know that, that is specifically mentioned in the yeah. proposal. That we, it's like hey, one we're studio to, or two studios. <laughs> how is this going? Right, we're just we're just trying to help people earn a living, you know, uh, and that's why they should export statues of uh, of dictators and leaders and other things to uh, to countries outside yeah. North Korea. I, I just that, yeah, that was a funny thing to very mention. Very odd one. Uh, Sources told sources in the UN Security Council told one of our colleagues that. Uh, you know, China and Russia were working with North Korea, hearing what they wanted uh, to be put into this and resolution. So North Korea specifically so, wanted to, to start exporting statues. Uh, who knows why China and Russia agreed to put that one in there? But yeah, hmm. and the laborers, of course, is the most important one that uh, is included in this resolution, which doesn't have a chance of passing. Right, because all of North Korea's uh, overseas working laborers was it around fifty thousand uh, were supposed to have returned home by. Uh, December 22nd, is that correct? Uh, well, they are supposed, but there are good reasons to believe that uh, Russia and especially China are not really sending them back, uh, but looking for ways to keep them using all kinds of creative approaches. Uh, say, if you are in China, you basically can get them as short-term visitors. 
and even without breaking any kind of formal mm-hmm. regulations, you you bust them into a factory. Right. They live there for a few months, three months. I'm not sure how. Ninety days. Then they are bust back to the border. And then come maybe after a couple of days of indoctrination about how bad and reactionary is China, they are sent back to China to make money. And then, uh, yeah, and Russia's being quite creative in handing out uh, student and travel visas. Yes, absolutely, to, uh, to absolutely, at uh, record levels. Do you, I mean, as I recall. Uh, hearing uh, Russian visa applications are not cheap. Do you think that they're waiving the visa application fees? For I hope so. I hope. I hope so. Uh, because I believe that the idea of betting common people from going overseas, getting a job, which is a dream job, uh, it was a stupid idea from the very beginning. Uh, this actually is bad for Korean people and it's bad for changes in North Korea. So you'd, you'd like to see more North Korean laborers working yes, overseas? Yes, 10 times more. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about one thing, too, is is uh, if China and Russia are doing these kind of creative uh, solutions to continue to host DPRK workers, and the the only the, the danger is uh, a response from the, the U.S. or Europe uh, at the U.N. Security Council to accuse uh, China and Russia officially mm-hmm. of, of carrying out these uh, creative approaches, right? Mm-hmm. And... I guess the argument has always been China wants to continue to hold legitimacy, a, a responsible member of the international community, so to speak. Uh, and that's why they are on some, on some level uh, enforcing the sanctions on North Korea. Mm-hmm. But uh, is there a risk really of the U.S. going this route? Because that would be, well, North Korea would respond to that, first of all. Mm. Uh, North Korea considers sanctions enforcement to be new sanctions, as we saw mentioned in the plenum speech yesterday. I wonder, would the U.S. actually call out Russia and China for these? Or does Russia and China feel safe? Wouldn't that be, as particularly in the case of uh, uh, U.S. action against China, wouldn't that be dependent on a broader context like how the U.S.-China trade war mm-hmm. is going and that kind of thing? Yes, probably, yes. And talking about calling, this is exactly the reason why both Russia and China are keeping much less workers than would be kept or would be allowed otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's, yes, it's a very small-scale operation. It's, it's not going to go to zero level. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, but because... For, it's big stupidity, uh, but uh, it will go down significantly. Uh, so I would say it will be maybe one third, one quarter of what it used to be. Hmm. Now, this year, uh, Jong-un, for the first time in seven years under Kim Jong-un, there's no uh, New Year's speech televised on January 1st. Usually there's a, uh, a pre-prepared uh, video of uh, Kim Jong-un sitting in a room or standing at a lecture and giving a lecture with a kind of canned applause pre-recorded and edited in, you know, so it's not like it's a live speech, but normally this is something edited, uh, sorry, shown on North Korean state television January 1st each year. This year there wasn't. Is that simply because the plenum ran over over, uh, over time or was there another reason? What do you think about that? As always, we can't exactly know what the reasons were um, on the North Korean leadership's choices that they make, but it's highly likely, I think, it was because of operational reasons. Mm-hmm. They already were holding that very long plenum, um, in my opinion, to deal with the year-end deadline. And it went on to um, December 31st, which is usually when the New Year's address should be prepared. Mm. Also, the result of the 
party plenum that came out on January 1st morning, which is when usually the New Year's address come out, yeah. most of the content were exactly what New Year's address usually deals with. Ah. And I, I think I read, it may have been on Monday, January uh, December 30th, I read that uh, Kim Jong-un spoke for seven hours before the plenary meeting hours. on various issues of policy. So maybe he just lost his voice. Maybe he was all talked out. Yeah. I wonder, though, because in the, the plenum speech that was carried on in North Korean media on the 1st, uh, yes, there was a lot in there about policy. There was some about uh, non-sanctions, non-U.S., uh, non-hunkered you know hunkered down and get to work type of thing. There was, uh, let's uh, boost SciTech industry, let's uh, boost agriculture, let, let's do it. But there, this, this wasn't in detail. Hmm. And so I wonder, uh, it's tradition and they can, they can flout tradition if they want, but there's an expectation in the New Year address to go into detail on all the different industries, uh, talk about some, the successes of the last year, uh, specific, go into detail on the, on the, the specific economic projects, uh, get, you know, hype the people on the successes and talk about the areas where they can expect to see more successes in the coming year, the factories, the, the, the certain projects and uh, you know they introduce the new slogans and then the new propaganda posters come out on that and it's all kind of orchestrated that way and uh, even though a lot was in the plenum speech yesterday um, I think there was still a lot it's not you can't really say it it took care of the Mm -hmm. New Year's address I think there's a lot missing on the specifics and the details yeah are they still using the uh, the term Byongjin is that still something does that feature in the plenum speech this I parallel line of, of both military and economic once. development? Pyongjin came up once, yep. but then Kim Jong-un, if I remember correctly, said that um, there's no difference between when we were pursuing Pyongjin, which is parallel development, yep. and now. Parallel right. development of, of uh, economic, yes. p- parallel economic development and nuclear program development. Although we were offering this and that. Right. So, okay, so like you said, that they're in the same place, but uh, but Pyongyang is not really spoken of as much as it used to be. It's, it's, it hasn't been it hasn't been the line in state media recently. Because okay, there was talk of, of this new line, but, we, but really, what is the new line? It, it seems like the same as the old line. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the experts um, coined the term frontal breakthrough line. Well, that uh, wasn't coined. That was in the that was in the plan of speech. Oh, yeah, it was. But it was like a longer phrase. Uh-huh. But frontal breakthrough sound, line. Yeah, just made it sound like the short version of that long phase. Yeah, it's very vague. Not very, line. doesn't have really the, the weight, I think. Of. So it, it means that they are, they're making official yeah. that this confrontation between the United States, the United States and mm-hmm. the and North Korea will become a long-term thing. Mm, okay. So if, if I can give it my own uh, nickname, then we can call it the crash or crash through line. <laughs> I think the reason why people say that they're still open, the door is still open is because, mm-hmm. sure, uh, if the U.S. is really willing to give them uh, to, to, to come out and sit and do something really bold, you know, I don't know, it's very unrealistic, but uh, sure, we'll drop this whole idea that we expect full denuclearization or um, we'll give up sanctions, we'll drop the hostile policy. North Korea would not ignore that, but Jungmin is right. It's, a, it's official now. It's, this isn't a waiting game anymore. Mm. We'll listen to you if you have something big, but no, we're going. And overall, it seemed like um, to the North Korean leadership, the U.S. issue was a big dilemma going towards the end of the year. 
looking at the format of the party plenum yeah. uh, readout, it seemed that the United States issue came first, and it just was a big bulk mm-hmm. of that readout was mm-hmm. about the United States. Um, please let me compare with um, past instances, instances yeah. of um, U.S. editorial and whatnot, because um, many people are pointing out that this is very unprecedented. Well, that's not true. You, the Not having the speech or not having a New Year's editorial? Um, both. Okay. Um, because this time I checked, it's January 2nd today, and mm-hmm. they haven't really... Um, dispatched any New Year's editorial on Rodong Shimun, even yeah. on January 2nd. Mm. And on January 1st, the whole Rodong Shimun was dedicated to the result of the party plenum. Right. So back in the Kim Il-sung era, from the 1940s, it was Kim Il-sung's voice that, were deliver- that was delivering the New Year's address. Yeah. But in some cases, when North Korea was going through a very disordered phase or like emergency or very unsettling situations, there were instances when there were no addresses or no um, editorials mm. that were coming out. For example, I think Dr. Lankov would um, know better than I do on this, mm-hmm. but in 1987, it was right after um, Gorbachev was in. Um, there was like reform going on and North Korea mm-hmm. was like having a very unsettled situation. And 1987 was quite similar in another regard. They had another big event, if I remember correctly, the Supreme People's Assembly meeting, mm-hmm. which ended just before the New Year. So we have exactly the current uh-huh. situation. Uh, so they had this big event and general level of uncertainty high and they decided to do without uh, New Year's speech. So January 1st, 1988, no speech. Seven. Okay, so... So then the uh, Supreme People's Assembly meeting ended late 86? Yes, the 30th or 31st of December. December 30th, um, 1986, it ended. Right. And also, if anyone remembers the August incident... In yes, 1957, 19- yes. Uh, but it's not clear. I would like to check a bit more carefully. It's a common statement. Mm-hmm. They did not, uh, I'm not sure whether uh, it was really the case that he did not deliver the speech, or maybe it was just a question of how it was it was presented. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are, uh, there are indeed some, at least irregularities with New Year's speech, or maybe no speech in 1957, because just a few months before, Kim Il-sung nearly lost his power as a result of coordinated attack of the high-level party opposition, which was quietly supported by both Russians and Chinese. Mm-hmm. And this is why he he never liked Russians, he never liked Chinese, uh, but even though he was installed in power by the Russians with a lot of Chinese assistance, but after 1957, he positively hated them. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm curious there, Jongmin, back to the, uh, the January 1st speech, was there any uh, indication in North Korean state media that there would or would not be a New Year's address? This year? Uh, yes. I think the party plenum, well, we were all guessing um, by the end of the year, but I think it was pretty clear on December 31st when they said that the meeting goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it meant that the meeting uh, on the 30th, 30th yeah. they said that the meeting goes on, which means they will be having a mm-hmm. meeting on December 31st, of which the result will come out on January 1st. And it will just overlap with the, with the time when the New Year's address should come out. So people were thinking, ah, maybe there's New Year's address. But I think we were only sure after January 1st noon mm-hmm. um, that the New Year's address is being replaced by the party plenum readout. See, I, I know that every day the uh, uh, at, at least one of the newspapers, I think it's the Pyongyang Shinwon, publishes the TV listings for that day. And I wonder if it was uh, 
you know, if it was there uh, in yesterday's TV listing, whether there was going to be a speech or was not going to be one, could we see that in there? Even in the case of TV preview, they just said that the plenum results are coming out, right. and there were like no gaps between the programs on on okay. the preview. That's the reason why many people, including um, Chad, thought that there was no New Year's address coming up. Right, and he was he turned that he was correct. Then. And it was also weird that they didn't um, publish any New Year editorial as well mm -hmm. because well but it makes sense because all the content that they wanted to get out there um were already in the party plenum readout but usually like during the kim, kim jong-il era um he was a very reclusive leader if yeah. you remember him correctly right so he, he didn't give public speeches no he so didn't was, really it like was more it. the editorial than the yes. speech yeah yes but this year there was no editorial which mm -hmm. means it wasn't because Kim Jong-un was suddenly a reclusive leader. Right. Uh, it was like operational reasons um, or some other reasons. Mm, but as Colin mentions, there was so little uh, concrete specific detail in the, uh, in the plenum readout. So does that mean that we can expect something, you know, maybe more concrete coming up in the next few days, weeks? Hard to say. Mm. Yeah, hard to say. And also another thing I wanted to mention is that South Korea, inter-Korea relations was just like mentioned zero times. Ah, in the plenum readout. That's mm -hmm. an interesting point. Okay, yes. what what do we make of that? So usually in the New Year's address, it's constructed in four parts, mm -hmm. approximately. First, they talk about the achievements that they made in the previous year. Yep. Secondly, they talk about the domestic policy of the coming year, about the direction, and as Colin mentioned, the specific, uh, the specifics, uh, the specifics of the industries that they are working on. Yep. Um, like economy, society and culture, uh, military and ideology and party. Um, and then they move on to inter-Korean relations right. traditionally and talk a little bit about what they think about South Korea. And then fourth, they move on to any international affairs matters. But in 2018, it was a little different. If you remember it, he talked about the button on his desk. The nuclear button. Mm -hmm. um, and this this came out ahead of other issues in the New Year's address, which right. sort of showed that he was, Kim Jong-un was paying a very big attention to the relationship between the United States and North Korea. Yeah. But this time also, the part about the United States was a big part of the plenum readout. But um, unlike the New Year's address, the specifics of the industries were just out. Right. And South Korea matter. They mentioned South Korea once. Once. But um, mm. it wasn't about inter-Korean relations. What was but it? they talked about how South Korea is like keep bringing in these war equipments and mm. it was in relations to the USRK alliance issues rather than oh, like so inter-Korean uh, issues. It was just listing buying planes and helicopters and, and missile parts. And yeah, whatnot. when listing like three mm. perceived provocations from mm. the US post-Singapore summit, right. things which ruined the, the atmosphere that was mentioned. But I mean, what, what, can, what can they say about South Korea at this point? Uh, well, it's been very clear that South Korea Moon Jae-in has nothing to offer whenever he is abiding by sanctions and U.S. policy, U.N. UN sanctions. So uh, what can they accomplish together? He, Moon Jae-in talked a big game with him and he's not able to deliver. Was there talk on unification in the plenary, the plenary address? I don't no. think so. No, okay. No. Uh, President Lamkov, we know that uh, there's a direct hotline between the two leaders. Now, of yeah. course, we don't know... Uh, how often this is used, that that's all, you know, uh, state secrets, etc. But 
If you were President Moon, would you be calling President Kim before the end of the year and give some suggestions or some uh, best wishes or something? Uh, probably I would not. Uh, because right now it's quite clear that Kim Jong-un does not want to interact with South Korea in any meaningful mm -hmm. way. And no amount of begging is going to help. Uh, because uh, Kim Jong-un understands that Moon Jae-in and his government is probably the friendliest government North Korea is going to have in the foreseeable future. Because even if the left is going to win next elections, which is quite likely, the next generation of the left are far more critical about, even hostile towards North Korea than Moon Jae-in's generation and his people. Uh, so it sounds good on paper, looks good on paper. Problem is that for North Korea, Moon, uh, South Korea has two essential meanings. First of all, it's a provider of free money. Uh, because whenever we talk about inter-Korean cooperation, it's never reciprocity-based mm -hmm. equal cooperation. Always South Korean taxpayer pays. It will ever be like that. And nothing can be done about it and nothing should be done about it. Because it's not bad. Because South Korea gets some geopolitical benefits from these activities. But right now... North Korea cannot get it because of the UN security sanctions South Koreans are not willing to violate. And what's the second thing? And the second thing is ability to influence Washington. Mm -hmm. Moon Jae-in uh, worked really hard to lobby Washington, but nobody is listening no, to him and nobody is listening to his diplomats. I've seen myself how they are perceived in Washington. Uh, basically, they are perceived as walking talk, uh, tape recorders reproducing nonsense. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and this means that currently Moon Jae-in has no value and uh, in order to exercise more pressure on Moon Jae-in, you have to be tough on him. This full understanding that he is basically the an ideal South Korean president from North Korean point of view. So you, North Koreans have to be nasty, and for South Koreans, if they are reasonable, rational, they should not beg for change in position. Just mutual kind of neglect is a good policy for the time being. Let's talk a little bit about what we can expect in the year ahead. Uh, you mentioned elections. We have some elections coming up, but of course, the parliamentary elections are coming up uh, this year, uh, and it, I believe oh, it's year. on the day of the sun, isn't it? It's April 16th, right? It's actually the day of Kim Il-sung's mm -hmm. birthday, so it'll be a, a public holiday in both North and South Korea for different reasons. Uh, <laughs> in South Korea, it'll be a parliamentary election. Uh, does or are inter-Korean relations a, uh, um, a voting issue in when it comes to National Assembly elections or not so much? I'd say no. Mm -hmm. It's South Koreans are less interested in North Korea than like people outside South Korea things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, then, well, we've got later on this year, of course, in November, uh, the big U.S. presidential elections. What does North Korea want out of that? They want Trump, I would assume, instead of the Democratic opponents. And why is that? Why would they want President Trump to win again? Because Trump has been the most friendly, willing to to engage with North Korea in the history of the relationship. And uh, the Democrats have been quite hawkish uh, so far. I do agree with both remarks. First, of course, they want Trump. And I would even read all this official New Year statement as a sign Look, we are here, we can get bad, but we can get much worse, but we are not going to do it, just talk to us. Mm -hmm. Do something about sanctions. Make uh, an offer. Yes, for me, in spite of occasionally seemingly anti-American bellicose rhetoric, this statement was basically just an attempt 
to get something from the Americans, to get a meaningful agreement with Donald Trump as long as he is in the White House. Of course, they, this agreement, as they specifically explicitly said, uh, will not include denuclearization. And talking about the local elections, well, it's something which you should basically, I'm never tired of repeating because it's not understood outside Korea. South Korea does not care about North Korea unless we have a crisis. So as long as North Korea is quiet, the average South Korean voter cares about North Korea pretty as much as the average American voter cares about Paraguay or maybe Chile. It's not understood because when you read newspapers, the international media writes about Korean Peninsula not because of some new K-pop song or changes in the old age pension system or new semiconductor developed by Hyundai. But all these news are far more important for the South Koreans than all these antiques from the North. Mm. So it's not widely understood. People sort of believe that South Koreans care about North Korea. They, they spend days and nights reading news. You know, you can take the average South Korean newspaper and on the average day on, say, 36, 40 pages, you, will, you probably will not find a single article dealing with North Korea. It's a very secondary issue. Mm. It's a, For the average South Korean of younger generation, say 45 and younger, North Korea is a strange, bizarre, comical, slightly dangerous, highly irrational, ridiculous place whose population speaks a sort of strange uh, dialect of his or her native language. Seeing from the surveys that, that, that come out every year, yeah. um, we can see that the North Korean affairs, when it comes to South Korean voters, it does affect a few um, groups of people, mm -hmm. but those are usually the people who don't really change their political stance, the extremely um, conservative people or extremely progressive people. But for especially for the parliamentary election, yeah. it's important for the politicians to change the minds of the people in between. Mm. And the people in between, they're more moved by other issues like economy, not like less North Korea. Right. Well, uh, final question then. Uh, one year from now, when we're sitting around the table for our January 2nd, 2021 uh, roundtable, what is the possibility or what is the probability that um, nothing major will have changed in the intervening year, that we'll be talking about basically the same issues a year from now that we are today? What do you think? Oh, man, I, I, would, I would guess that someone's going to try to make a move because of the Trump election. We'll be sitting here a year from now talking about who, who is going to be in office later in the month. Uh, what if the impeachment? Uh, well, no, I'm not, <laughs> not getting into that. Okay, yeah, but <laughs> but that does it does affect it because people like it's always it's good to know uh, what's on hit what's on Trump's mind. Is he really focusing right. on North Korea? I mean, uh, Trump's gave a few remarks on the plenum speech, but it was just in response to a question, and mm -hmm. he definitely hadn't looked into it, and he was just um, spitting out talking points. But uh, Trump's really confident in his in his uh, relationship with, with Kim Jong Un, and he. Uh, he might be motivated to to try to do something about it, but we talk about the what voters care about. I don't think uh, Americans are gonna be moved to come out to the polls if if Trump gets a win with North Korea. It just doesn't won't make a, the hugest splash. So if you're a betting man, you'd bet that something significant will happen be between now and uh, January second well, next year. You know, North Korea says right now, Kim Jong Un says right now that uh, it's it's a, it's a done deal unless the U.S. has something big for us you know we're gonna we're gonna keep developing 
And that's obviously going to draw responses from the U.S. throughout mm-hmm. the year, depending on what they do, because they are teasing that they're going to do something. Right. So uh, things will change, I think, um, especially if a Democrat comes into office. Um, we'll all be talking about what is their policy going to be? Are they going to engage with Kim Jong-un? Are they going to try out strategic patience again? I don't know. I don't think anything huge will change, but mm-hmm. it's uh, Trump's a wild card. Jong-un, what do you think? I'm inclined to vote for the other option, that there is not going to be that much change. Or at least it seems that Pyongyang sort of foresees that nothing's going to change that much in 2020, looking at what they are saying. Um, I think it's like a learning process for Pyongyang as well. Um, the United States is sending a like very much mixed message through various officials. And I think North Korea is starting to figure out that, oh, it's not just Trump that's mm-hmm. making the decision. Um, and there are U.S. domestic politics going on. That's I think that's why they started to think of this idea of a long-term confrontation. Unless United States make a very, like, crossing the line hostile policy to North Korea, I don't think North Korea will respond um, hastily to mm. anything. Uh, yes, you know, I've been doing North Korea for 35 years, yes. actually a bit longer, 36 by now. And I would say that uh, I've learned that changes are very slow and very rare. Uh, Basically, many things, yes, in 35 years, a lot of things have changed, but it was almost never sort of very dramatic change. It was slow motion change, accumulating small changes. So basically what I would say, maybe we are going to have a nuclear test next this year. It's already this year. Yeah. Uh, more likely, we are much more likely we are going to have some ICBM tests. A lot of media hype, maybe explosions of verbal bellicosity with foreign journalists rushing to Seoul to report on a conflict and then being surprised that nobody mm. in South Korea takes all this mess seriously. We've seen, have seen it in 2013, April, March was a wonderful picture uh, to see everybody was talking about a coming war outside Korea. Nobody pays it, paid attention in Korea. They understood it was just another diplomatic game. Well, we are probably going to see it. Um, we might see another summit, or maybe two, or maybe three, including U.S. North Korean summit. Mm. Maybe summits or summit or summits with China. Maybe even with South Korea. Not likely, but possible. Uh, so we will see small things which will give job to the journalists and analysts. Yours humbly. Yours truly included. Mm. Uh, but, uh, well, anyway, I have paid bills to pay. Uh, but having said that, on the long run, I would not expect anything dramatic. North Korea will not negotiate denuclearization. And Americans will not accept anything but full denuclearization, which is not acceptable for North Korea. Americans have no way to force their will of North Korea. North Korea has no way, no intention to surrender and is absolutely rational position. Maybe for, for, for North Korea, maybe less so for the Americans because no matter what they say, they will have to accept sooner or later that North Korea is a nuclear power, but they are not in a rush to do it. So we will have rounds of talks, some, you know, media hype, but on balance, it will be pretty much the same, unless Kim Jong-un has a heart attack or something, which mm-hmm. such, uh, you know, black swans happen, but uh, I would bet, say, 85-90% that we'll be basically repeating the same stuff. I think the other, the, the other black swan is Trump comes out and says... Uh, what are we doing with all this uh, bad relationship over 70 years? Why not just accept them 
as a nuclear state. And why not? I mean, he could do that. I could see any if anyone's going to do it, he could do that. He mm. can do it, but there is a big problem. Uh, U.S. is not a dictatorship run from the White House. He will immediately provoke Congress. He will immediately have problems, even within the serious problems, even within the Republican Party. Americans cannot swallow the idea that some dirty poor third-rate country in a distant part of the world is seemingly capable of destroying the city of Washington, D.C. And it will take a long time. Well, seemingly, I understand that is a big question, how reliable are their system. But they still believe somehow that through some measures the great and mighty United States can fix the problem somehow. And even if politicians understand it's not the case, say no, no expert in the U.S., North Korea studies community and professional kind of, you know, government service, none, virtually none, uh, believes that denuclearization is possible. But even if it's understood not only by these people, by the politicians too, it will be impossible to get it through Congress, through media, through the public. Okay, very good. That's where we're going to end it today. Thank you very much to Andre Lankov, Jongmin Kim and Collins Worker. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for today's episode, the first of the new year. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and also consider buying a subscription to nknews.org where you will always find the best and most up-to-date specialist journalism on all matters related to North Korea. And also for last-minute New Year's or belated Christmas gift ideas, visit nkshop.org and use the code PODCAST at the checkout to enjoy a $10 discount voucher. Our thanks, as always, to James Fretwell and Chad O'Carroll for facilitating this podcast, and to Arias Dare, our post-recording producer genius who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc. Costs involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Career Fund, for which we are extremely grateful. Mm-hmm.